0: financial advisor justin klein
1: good afternoon fellow investors and welcome back to invest talk this is our monday september 19th 2022 edition and we are in the final two weeks of the third quarter only nine more trading days remain until we get to october and then fall starts we get to Change our attire a bit, and the tenor of the markets often change with the fall as well. As you get into the holiday season, you tend to get lower volume, tends to mean higher prices for equities. Not always, but that's tend to be uh, tends to be uh, what you get in uh, in the final quarter of the year. But this has been a bit different of a year than most, as you would imagine, uh, even. Those with a lot of experience in the market that haven't just been around for the past you know five, 10 years or so, you you, you realize that this is uh, it's a rough market and rougher for some than others, uh, especially if you weren't prepared. but when you get trends like this, uh, they can endure even when seasonality goes, yeah, is typically going the other way. Now, I do think this will be a year where the seasonality kicks in, uh, just based on where we are sentiment-wise, where we are uh, with the economy, uh, and valuation on many sectors. Some sectors, which I'll dig into a little bit more, uh, probably have some room to go. So we're going to look at everything that pertains to the market right now as much as we can during this hour. Uh, but most importantly, we're going to take your calls. And our phone number that you'll want to call right now is our 24-hour listener line, which is 888 chart You can call 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, or if you're listening live during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time, we'd love to hear your questions during this time as well. So I've got a, pack, a packed podcast for you today, and my focus point concerns the story behind this headline. The key steps to add sustainable investment strategies to your portfolio. And if you've been listening for any length of time, you know I'm a pretty sharp critic of the way ESG has been implemented uh, within portfolios. And uh, But that doesn't mean that you just give up. You throw up your hands and say, well, I'm not going to look at this at all. If you have an interest... There are some steps that you can take to improve the ESG score of your portfolio. And we're going to look at those various ways and try to give you kind of a step-by-step guide uh, over there. Now, time permitting, I'll also dig into a few others, such as a few other topics, such as what broker gets the best, has the best execution. This is an interesting study, not by anybody in the industry but by academic UCI, UC Irvine, which is pretty close to me uh, coincidentally, but uh, I want to look at that also rising bond yields. How do rising bond yields change the math when it comes to equities? This is something that there's a loose association, but there's absolutely an association with the prevailing yields and cost of capital within markets and equity prices. So we're gonna look at that. And then lastly, uh, we're gonna look at earnings. Like I said at the top of the show, uh, the energy markets or energy sector as well as the material sectors, they're making the overall profit outlook for the markets look a lot better than they really are. So we're gonna dig into the details a little bit more time per minute now i see we have some caller voice bank input ready for you today as well on deck we have a question about stock screeners as well as berkshire hathaway b my perspective section this week looks at a percentage of americans that have owned stocks throughout the decades so i have all this planned for this episode of invest talk and of course i'll take your live calls right now at 888 chart let's take a look at the market today and today was a decidedly positive day when we closed near the highs as well. The S P up about S and P up about twenty six points, about two thirds of one percent. And it was it was really uh, a market that just gradually grinded higher through most of the day. And you know what's the market uh, thinking about uh, as we go into the Fed meeting it starts tomorrow. The announcement will be Wednesday, and once again, it's not going to be about whether they're going to raise 75 basis points or 100 basis points. It's going to be about what they say going forward. They almost assuredly will raise 75 basis points. That's what the option market is pricing in. And the Fed doesn't like to surprise the market very much. So that's what you're going to get. But what is the path of monetary policy? What is the path that the members uh, think uh, will be, you know, what will interest rates be, not just in a, the next meeting, but three months, six months? in 12 months from now, all of that will be vital. And will they speak about the recent economic weakness that we're seeing in the, in, in, uh, the data? It hasn't been dramatic, but it's certainly been there if you're paying enough attention. So will they hint at something like that? I think if they do, that will certainly give the markets uh, something positive to hang on to. And frankly, when you have sentiment this bad, It only takes a small bit of optimistic news to bring a strong relief rally. And I think that's certainly possible as we head into Wednesday's meeting. All right. So that's where we're at right now. Let's head over to a live call. And we're going to talk to Jacob in Kentucky, looking at Lockheed Martin.
2: Hi, I'm Jacob Simpson from Kentucky, and I'm calling to ask about Lockheed Martin LMT, Um, I'm up about 25% and I'm looking to expand my holding, my position, and I've heard they've gotten a government contract recently, and I was wondering if you think it's an overall good stock. Thank you for your time.
1: No problem. Well, this is Lockheed Martin, and they always have government contracts, right? They live off of government contracts, and their F-35 program is one of the, the most expensive within our military budget and uh, certainly is bringing them a lot of business, but that is uh kind of slowed as of late. It's supposed to earn about $21 and 75 cents a share this year. And that was about the same as they made pre pandemic in 2019. So, you know, earnings are expected to increase next year. Uh, you know, what's happening in Ukraine certainly is, uh, you know what's happening in Ukraine right now? It's it's a lend-lease program where we're basically lending and kind of selling them uh, old arms that are kind of outdated in a lot of ways. Uh, now that there's probably some overlap here with uh, Lockheed. Lockheed probably uh, sells a lot more sophisticated ones than we're we're uh, we're sending over to Ukraine. Um, but you know that means that they're going to have to replenish that stock, so that's some probably near-term tailwinds for them. But my worry is, is, and this has been for, for a while, but even pre-Ukraine, uh, was that we're entering a, a, a more multipolar world, uh, one that is reliant, uh, at least the warfare is happens more economically. Think of us versus China. Happens more uh, in cybersecurity. Think of us versus Russia. Uh, you know, we don't have a fighting war, a hot war with Russia, but we certainly battle when it comes to cybersecurity and espionage etc and so i I believe longer term more money is going to go towards that as opposed to more weapon systems more planes you know no one's going to invade the us uh we are pulling back geopolitically from supporting the rest of the world that started with trump that's kind of continued uh in, in in some some respects even under biden even though we have the ukraine situation So I just think geopolitically, I don't see us growing our defense budget on the things that Lockheed Martin tends to make, Uh, you know, missiles and aircrafts uh, and combat systems. So that's why I don't love it longer term. Now, technically, medium term, it actually looks like it's making some nice bullish consolidation here after the spike uh, of the Ukraine invasion. And it's held that. Uh, so, I don't have any issue holding it kind of near term. I think it's more long term. What is the trajectory of our spending on these types of systems? And that's why uh, it would be one of those names that hold near term and sell at some point long term. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 889924278. We're heading into a break. And now I welcome your finance and investment questions. No question is too simple or too complex, you set the agenda. So give me a call, once again, that's 888-99-CHART.
3: Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these
2: would you recommend?
3: Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was
2: curious, if you still think Aluminum
3: has a ways to go from here?
2: When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here?
3: And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction.
0: I think you have a terrific show and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now and I've...
3: You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, and this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 99 chart
1: Now, my focus point concerns the story behind this headline, the key steps to add sustainable investing strategies to your portfolio. And I've been a harsh critic in the past about how how complex and kind of misleading a a lot of ESG ratings are, Uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't take steps to improve it if that is a priority to you. And... For some, for, I would say the majority of people, it's not, but I think we all would like our money to make some sort of a a positive impact as well as make us more money, right? And most people, they have various goals. It could be sustainability of their, of, of the businesses that they're investing in, to see strong investment returns and make a difference and it's often a very it's a mix of all those things and their priorities are varied but without goals it's very hard to know where you want to go so you need to establish those goals and you need to figure out whether you are esg unaware i mean you have you don't have a base concern and you don't use ESG data or, ref- or, or, or references to make investment decisions. That's most people ESG unaware. Others are are more aware. They're mindful of uh, the issues and they consider it as part of their investment process. Others are very motivated ESG motivated and they know exactly the type of things they want to make an impact with their money. And if you are ESG motivated, then. You might be concerned about things like climate change uh, that will impact the company's viability. Uh, Maybe you want to put more weight on how your investments impact the people on the planet. Maybe you have thematic interests, uh, such as something on the social side. Remember, E is environmental, social, and governance. And maybe uh, the social side is more important to you. Maybe climate's more important to you you have to really lay out what those goals are okay and you can be they can investors and institutions can be driven by the desire to improve the world or desire to improve total returns and you can look at it in two ways do no harm meaning you avoid the bad things or you seek to make positive impact okay so if you are, and then you have to figure out whether you're set, you have to consider when setting ESG issue goals, whether these issues should be viewed as portfolio objective or a constraint, okay? Objective means you seek to maximize the impact, right? Uh, whereas a constraint is more of, I don't want to invest in these particular things, but everything else is gain, okay? So that's step number one. And after the break, I'm gonna to get to step two, three, and four on how to think about making these changes. Now, we have to take this break and I think you know, we like your recorded questions, but we love live calls as well. So give me a call at 888-99-SHARK.
2: One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk Podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. All right,
1: now before the break, I touched on how to set some goals for your, the ESG impact of your portfolio, if you want to do that. And step two is really to determine the profile and how much of your portfolio may be reallocated to these particular goals. So you have to think of things like, do I prefer a fund that pursues ESG goals as their stated objective, or is it more unintentional? And maybe that could drift over time back to something that isn't quite as ESG. Okay. And then you have to, do all of this to in conjunction with understanding your risk and exposure. One issue with ESG funds right now is they're heavily weighted on technology, typically. And in times like this, as you know, having too much technology exposure is going to hold you back. And performance isn't going to do, do too hot. And so you don't want to get overweight one particular sector Or style factor. Okay. And that's an important consideration. Now step three is. Know the options that are available to you. Okay. So go out there in the marketplace. Is it individual names? Are they funds that are available? Now typically sustainable funds. Employ some level of exclusion. Right. They exclude things like. Gambling, alcohol, pornography, civil weapon manufacturers, tobacco, fossil fuels, all of these things uh, that most people don't want to be invested in. Even though longer term, especially things like tobacco, fossil fuels, alcohol, gambling, they tend to be pretty profitable. Some of the best, most profitable sectors historically. Now there are faith-based funds that obviously... Exclude some of those things. Other funds exclude areas because they think long term they're just not viable. Think of fossil fuels that they're going to be phased out. Obviously, you know this last twelve months has been kind of a rude awakening for those uh, funds. But think of weapons manufacturers. Is there going to be some sort of law to restrict? That could be potential risk that certain funds get rid of others it's a regulatory environment so will there be regulatory changes that hurt that particular sector maybe they want to diversify away from that as well okay so an exclusion when an exclusion is implemented a portfolio often tilts to one style or another but if you're getting rid of tobacco companies fossil fuel companies uh, weapons manufacturers, casinos, those are a lot of the value side of the market. so you're gonna be leaning towards the growth side of the market often oftentimes, okay? Then there are passive funds that you know, do you really believe their views and do do they lean what's important to you right? A lot of ESG is leaning on the e, the environmental factor. But what if your focus is more, on the social side, or the governance side. And so oftentimes these passive funds aren't gonna align very well with your end goals. And then fixed income. Fixed income is one of the areas that's often the hardest to invest ESG, mainly because, especially on the corporate side, mainly because a lot of the debt in the corporate bond market is energy, unlike, the broad indices, only about 4% of the S&P is, uh, on, on the equity side is is energy. A lot of the corporate bond market is made up of energy companies, oil and gas. Now, there's one area where fixed income can be a little more impactful, and that's financing actual green initiatives. And so there are certain uh, funds that, that can do that. Uh, but there, it's still kind of the wild, wild west. And... What you invest in may not have the right the impact you think it will. You might be misled, and that oftentimes happens with a lot of the, the ratings today. And then it's about how do you transition? Do you do it quickly over time? What are the tax consequences if you are in a taxable account? So all of these things are variables you have to weigh and with your goals or what are the risks what are your goals what are the options and then how do you make that transition usually the gradual approach to this new portfolio plan is the right way to go and frankly that's with most strategies you don't want to go overhaul all at once because of those uh, tax implications and uh, this is an area that definitely uh, needs You need to do a lot of planning because of the complexity of each component and where uh, those fit in with the type of ESG investor you might be. Now, on the next invest stock, the story behind this question, what's your what's your real inflation rate? Life stage and lifestyle, they all play a role in your experience with inflation. And calculi- calculating a personalized inflation rate can be beneficial. You may not feel it as much as somebody else because of your lifestyle and, and stage. So that's the story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay. Why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the
3: program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights. From the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. Hi, I was hoping to get some feedback
2: on Stock Selenese Corporation, the ticker symbol CE. I know Warren Buffett has been a buyer earlier this year. It looks like it's uh, has a Pretty low, but a growing dividend. It's been on a downward trend for a while. It's now below its pre-COVID pandemic levels. It was around 125 back in, at the end of 2019, it's now around 100, 102. I bought a very small share. I have a position of less than 1% at 105. It's now down to 102 at the time of this call. Just wondering if, uh, I should be patient. It could go much, much lower, or if this is a pretty reasonable valuation. I mean, I know it can always go lower, but is this a good price around a hundred to give or take to start picking it up and maybe increase my stake to maybe two, three, 4%. And it's, what do you think, what are the, the charts telling you? And what about the actual valuation as far as free cash flow? PE earnings, history, and things like that um, as far as a reasonable price. I really appreciate your feedback, really appreciate all that you guys do and all the kind of investing education you guys provide. I've been learning a lot on your show. Thank you very much.
1: All right, looking at Celanese Corporation. CE is the symbol. It's the world's largest producer of acetic acid, acidic acid, and it's a. it's down... Stream derivative chemicals, which are used in various end markets, coatings, adhesives, are uh, used in automotive, electronic, medical, and consumer end markets, and it uh, makes the cellulose derivatives used in cigarette filters. That's interesting. So, uh, it's about 11 billion dollar market cap. So, large, mid cap, small, large cap, however you want to uh, call it. Modest amount of debt, which I like. Enterprise value to EBITDA is about five, and historically. That is a pretty cheap price, so I do like that. But earnings are expected to go down, which means EBITDA is likely to come down. Earnings are expected to drop 12% next year, be relatively flat this year. And you see that with last quarter's earnings down 1% year over year. Um, So 2.6% dividend yield, it is at some major support here, right around $100 per share so technically i like that i also like the macd is making a divergent high so i like the technical um, setup at least uh, medium term if it can hold uh, this hundred level and long term it has pretty consistently strong return on equity return on invested capital return on equity averages 25 30 that's very high so i like that and without a ton of debt oftentimes Companies that are highly leveraged, they can earn high return on equity, uh, but this company isn't one of those. It doesn't have uh, that level. So, I like what you're looking at here. Uh, I'm going to give Selenese a thumbs up. That was CE Selenese Corporation. All right, now let's pivot over to a recent academic study, and that's why I'm highlighting this is because it's academic. It's not uh, something that was what was that was sponsored by Wall Street. No money was given by Wall Street to do this study. It was uh, simply academic. And what it did was it looked at the execution from some of the major brokerages, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, E-Trade, Robinhood, and Interactive Brokers. And what was interesting is TD Ameritrade actually delivered the best prices. That's what the study found, followed by Fidelity, then E-Trade, and then Robinhood, and interesting that Interactive Brokers did the worst. Uh, so, and that's they're touted as supposed to be uh, the best. Now, we use TD Ameritrade as our broker, so uh, but we're not sponsored by them. We don't get any kickbacks or anything like that. But I just thought this was interesting to highlight. And what they did is they executed about eighty-five thousand trades over a six-month period, and they attempted to place the same trades. Simultaneously with different brokers and measured the price that they got, and it was relatively large. And if you, uh, th- there's something called the price improvement, meaning what what you expect to get filled at when you go buy a stock or sell a stock, and what price you actually get. And according to t- uh, according to this, TD Ameritrade had about an eight cent. Price improvement, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're trading, you know, a lot of shares, that can can mean a lot. Uh, and it was Interactive Brokers was only a three cent price improvement, and everything else was kind of in the middle. Okay, and the reason this is important is because everyone thinks that their stock trades are free, right? There's no commission. Well, execution is now your your fee slightly worse execution you than you've had in the past now for smaller investors, especially it's probably worth it. Okay. And what was interesting here is that this comes on the heels of the sec preparing to release a package of regulatory proposals over the next few months to overhaul how small investors trades are handled on the U S stock market. And brokers have a duty, a regulatory duty, to seek the best possible execution for their customers. And once again, the execution was very diverse. And if all retail brokers delivered delivered prices on par with TD, well, they would collectively save billions of dollars a year. Now, the most shocking thing about this was that the payment for order flow that is so controversial didn't really have an impact on on this TD Ameritrade does some payment for order flow, but fidelity doesn't, and they were second, but they don't pay they don't sell their order flow, so that was interesting. Interactive Brokers does not sell their order flow, and they were the worst, in execution. So this was kind of a an indication that just focusing on payment for order flow, isn't going to give investors the best execution. Now there's a lot of, obviously by the the companies that didn't do very well, Robinhood and interactive brokers, they complained that the size of the trades are too small. They were around a hundred dollars each and their medium uh, size orders, uh, and they were really, really weren't indicative of the average customer trade. That was their pushback there. But it just goes to show you that you don't rely just on uh, the cheapest trade, or uh, I guess now everything's cheap in, in that sense, in the commission side, uh, or the easiest to use, like Robinhood. It's really about best execution, best service, best data and, and, and software that you're using and customer experience. And so uh, all of that combined is important when you're going to uh, invest. So I thought that was a, a great study. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly joel 63892 says what's your opinion on the hartford group ticker symbol hig insurance companies tend to follow their own business cycles so i wonder if it would be uh be as impacted in a recession h i g well hartford group they do group life group disability property and casualty insurance mainly in the us about a 21 billion dollar market cap so a fairly large company and you're you're right they do have a bit different cycles, bit, bit different things that drive their business. The positive right now with uh, these insurance companies is they, they have higher interest rates and they get to invest their premiums at a higher rate. So that's definitely a positive. And the Hartford Group, I like the diversity of their business. That's one thing that really, to me, stands out. They do, uh, they do offer mutual fund services for. Uh, 401ks and things like that they also have commercial lines of business personal lines of business property and casualty uh group benefits etc so i'm actually a fan of the hartford group the technicals are kind of neutral they're not amazing they're not terrible at all they're they're outperforming the market so far and they really just been consolidating the recent move higher uh back in january so uh, i'm going to give the technicals a thumbs up and if you look at the fundamentals here in the earnings uh, trajectory, you're supposed to have 19% earnings increase this year, 13% next year. So I like that. Uh, they're certainly going to have some, be tied to the volatility of the market a bit because of that exposure to the 401k business. Uh, but if you look at things like uh, price to sales ratio, it is on the cheaper side historically. So I'm going to give Hartford Group a thumbs up. That's H-I-G and thanks for leaving your review, Joel. Now we're almost at summer's end. Fall is coming up very fast. I think the end of summer is this week sometime. It's always around the 20th or so. I don't know the exact date, but that means Halloween, Thanksgiving, and the holidays, they're coming up fast. And for investors, we're not yet in the holiday season and volatility is still here. It means you have to pay attention and you have to have your strategies honed especially in times like this where not everything's going up. Some things are going up. There's always a bull market somewhere. But when the broader market is in a downtrend, you need to make sure that your strategy is aligned with your risk tolerance level so you're not taking undue risks and making rash decisions. So it's worth taking a minute to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California. And let me remind you that here on Invest Talk and at KPP, we operate with the same philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success. It means we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air, and we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio view assessment via telephone or go to meeting. Just head over to investtalk.com and send us a message or call our office at 800 557 5461 sooner you reach out, the sooner we can get your portfolio optimized. Now for investors, regulatory changes have blurred the lines between banks and brokerages over the last uh, decades. And this started really when globalization took off in the 80s and they've advantaged investors. Investors become more engaged in markets. And as a result, investing now is a more challenging exercise than in previous decades. And in the past decades, trading stocks was less accessible and markets less liquid. So we're going to look back at the state of investing in American markets during the 50s and 70s. Now, in the 50s, according to the the first share owner census undertaken by the NYSE in 1952, only six and a half million Americans owned stocks. That was about 4.2% of the US population at that time. A lot of the population was scarred from the 29 crash and the the, the struggling market through the 30s and uh, up until world war ii so in the early 50s there was just too many people that hadn't seen the consistency of markets to uh through kind of calm times to get excited about it so most people in the 50s stayed away from stocks and it was only in 1954 that the dow surpassed its 1929 peak 25 years after the crash. Now remember back then, it was also a time-consuming thing. It was expensive to trade stocks, hundreds of dollars to buy shares in a particular company. Now fast forward into the 70s, changed a bit. Now the market meandered through the 70s, meaning start of the 70s, the Dow was at 800. At the end of the decade, is at 839, 5% gain over 10 years. Not that great, but the, the seeds of a large market rally that started in 1982 were sown, and a big part of it was the ERISA Act, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974, and this started IRAs as well as 401ks, and... Suddenly, stocks were also settled electronically as opposed to actual physical stock certificates. Now, in recent times, by 1998, 52% of Americans owned some shares in public companies or mutual funds, directly or indirectly. Four times higher than it was in 1980 when only 13% of Americans owned stocks. By the end of the 20th century, more than half Americans were Capitalists in some sense of the word. Now, in 1929, only 10% of Americans owned stocks before the crash. And the bull market of the 1920s helped with that, right? Everyone was chasing those returns. But after the crash, it took a while for people to get jazzed up. And it just shows you. People have been chasing returns for decades. And oftentimes when things look the bleakest, the best time to buy. When... Your brother, your sister, your cousin, your neighbor are making a ton of money and you've missed out. Uh, a lot of people get FOMA and they chase. And that happened in the 1920s. It's happening in the 2020s. And it's a lesson that human nature has and will never change. We are creatures of habit, and our habits are to be emotional. We're emotional beings. And the first step in making good decisions is to recognize that, your humanity, the fact that you're going to feel FOMO, you're going to feel fear, you're going to feel greed, all the emotions of being a human, but to be successful in investing, you need to weed out those emotions, focus on the facts, and don't chase returns. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 99 Chart.
3: This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888 99
2: Chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. I own the iShares iBond 2026 Term Corporate ETF. Uh, the ticker symbol is IBDR. I was wondering, because this is a term bond fund and it comes to maturity in 2026, if I hold it to maturity, will I receive back my initial investment or like an individual bond or will it lose money like a regular bond fund does? Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: This is a interesting one because these are relatively new offers in the ETF world and this is a the iShares iBond December 2026 term corporate ETF and he's, she's correct it is a a bond fund where uh, once everything matures you get your money back now there could be defaults here so understand that so there may be you know a few that potentially default between now and 2026 and that would hurt the par value and that's the whole idea of holding a bond to maturity or this in this sense an etf to maturity is you get your whole principal back now with the bond you are focused on one particular bond and hopefully that one doesn't go bankrupt uh and 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 this one is more diversified so naturally you're gonna have some that that do go bankrupt um, so, But you should be able to get back the vast majority of, of it because the vast majority are going to be uh, returning to par and maturing, and then the, uh, the fund's going to give you back your, your capital. So you, you're, you're right. Uh, this is very different than your typical bond fund, which can have permanent loss of capital as interest rates rise and they're rolling losses into new positions. And those positions are losing money because interest rates are going up. why so, like, bond funds uh, are typically not the best way to invest in the bond market for for most people um but this kind of avoids that and that's why i kind of like it thanks for the call now lastly let's touch on bond yields and when interest rates were next to nothing after the oa crisis and really through to the pandemic it was easy to, for people to just put money in the mark, stock market why because there was really no alternative the yield on bonds was so low that the yield you're getting from equities, especially when you calculate an earnings yield, was much higher. Now, the earnings yield is still higher for stocks than for the yield on bonds, but when it comes to dividend yields, only sixteen percent of S and P five hundred companies have dividend yields greater than the yield on the two year treasury, which is now almost four percent, and fewer than twenty percent of dividend yields greater than the yield on the ten year treasury. That's the lowest share since 2006 remember assets they compete with each other i've talked about this before the fact that the housing prices are so high and the cap rates are so low for most of the rentals and now that corporate bonds are yielding seven eight percent it doesn't make a lot of sense to own a real estate rental you just it's a lot more headache for probably less return and this, that, that, that substitution happens all across the markets. Now, stocks are obviously down, so the valuations are much better. But and SP is down 19% on the year. And rates are going to go higher. Now, the question is, how high will they go? And once again, this will compete with stocks. Now, bond traders are currently pricing in a terminal rate. On the Fed funds rate, about 4.41%. We're about to go over three on Wednesday. Probably three to three and a quarter, I think that's the, the range is going to get to. But the expectation now is, once again, about four and a half or so. No more, I think it's between four and a half and four and three quarters by the end of the first uh, quarter. Deutsche Bank has it as high as 5%. And all that competes with equities. And so there's always this kind of yin and yang between what the cost of capital is and the multiples uh, that the market is trading for, especially particular sectors. And so you have to understand that trade off. And typically when bond yields get well above equity yields, that puts the most pressure on the equity markets cause of that substitution effect. Now we're not quite there yet, but as you get closer to that four and a half, five percent rate, that I think puts the equity markets more at risk. We're not quite there yet. Now I'm Justin Klein. This is another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And our official Invest Talk download count has surpassed forty-five million. I think a lot of our new listeners are brought in when people recommend Invest Talk to their friends and family members. And I'm sure you've done that as well. So we thank you. Now get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave your question, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
0: Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to that. call 1-800-557-5461.